Welcome to Epping the Stash. I'm your host, Epi. We got a fun show this week, but let's introduce the guest tonight. Um, starting to my right, <laughs> in mirrored image or not, starting to my right, uh, a longtime friend of ours we haven't seen in a while. We have Dill Spears of Idiotville. How are you, Dill? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Um, I have to ask before we announce everyone else, how does it feel to truly be Erie's favorite podcast? Uh, it's incredibly rewarding. Uh, I, I do not know how we won. Um, I think we're the only ones that campaigned for it. Like <laughs> we were nominated and then we told like everybody we knew we're like, vote for us. So we're like, we're officially Erie's favorite podcast for 2020. We were just, we were beyond blown away that we actually won because there's so many good, really, really good podcasts in Erie. And you, you wouldn't think a small town like Erie would have so many, but I mean, there's probably there's probably two dozen podcasts out of Erie, and I would say fully half a dozen of those are easily better than we are. Oh wow. We're I mean, we're the we're the godfathers of Erie podcasting. We've been around longer than just about everybody. So I feel like it was more like a like a lifetime achievement award than anything else. <laughs> uh, we're coming up on almost three years that we've been doing it. So wow. um yeah, me and me and Brent started it in the spring of 2018. So, um, I, am I'm floored and flattered and, uh, just absolutely blown away by the response that we got. And, um, we we couldn't be happier. So we're, uh, we're, we're moving up. We're going to be doing a lot of good stuff this year. Uh, hopefully we can get out and do some remotes if, uh, Pennsylvania ever gets out of uh, the weird lockdown status that we're in. So mm. we hear you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We <hear> you. <laughs> well, much congratulations. And, and I, I, I'm not sure if I share it very often, but I remember in the group text, Brent, you and I had a group text before we expanded it to other people like Pencil Tucky and Stash. Yeah. I remember when you ordered the microphones for your podcast. Like, I remember that happening because you sent it to I both was... of us. I ordered the yeah. mics. We're doing this. And so I felt like I was always a part of it. So, yeah. Oh, no. yeah. And I haven't used those mics in over a year. <laughs> They're sitting in a laundry basket in my basement. I think you got to bust out the Hall of Justice just as, as yeah. a throwback to the old days. Bring back the Hall of Justice once in a while. I, I think we're probably going to do it. I'm, I'm, I actually can afford to buy like a better rig if I need to. So as soon as I buy this house, I'm probably going to actually soundproof the Hall of Justice so it doesn't sound like we're shouting into a garbage can or something. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's part of the charm. That's that's what helped get you where you are. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> so. All right. Not to leave everyone else out. Let's see. We have Stash. Stash, how are you? I'm doing fucking great. Welcome, Dill. Uh, again, congratulations even from myself in the West Coast and down here in Southern California. Um, I I was uh, super excited to actually see that on Twitter when it popped up on my feed. Um, and, you know, to congratulate you uh, guys on on, on our uh, group text. So um, that, that was actually that 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 was that felt like I won a little bit of a mini lottery because when I saw it, I was like, fuck, yeah, look at these guys. They fucking did it. And so congratulations. <laughs> Thank right. you. Thank you. We know some celebrities. Um, <laughs> and we have a uh, Beardo. Beardo, how are you? Uh, fan fucking fantastic. I'm going to guess I know who the ne- how the next person is doing. Shitwood, how are you? 
I'm doing fucking fantastic. Fucking fantastic. And also, again, congratulations. Uh, yeah, congratulations. I, I, I saw it somewhere on Facebook. You know, I had I obviously had the first time meeting you tonight, uh, but I saw it somewhere on Facebook. You know, heard all about you, heard all about the podcast. Had to go give a, a listen, and also saw the the best of eerie. You know, list. It reminded me of you know things that they do in my small hometown, and um, you know. It's a, it's it's something to be proud of for sure. So absolutely, we were we were so excited, and it was just uh, it, it's so nice to get recognized. We got recognized at the bar the other night. We're like, what? <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> That's, that is awesome. That's like uh, I, I bet you felt. I think the closest thing I have to that is when Diane Breed first opened up um, our new favorite brewery around here. I went to pick up an online order I made, and they said, oh, I, I'm not going to use my real name because that's the order I – that's the name I put it under. They said, oh, are you so-so from Upping the Stash? I was like, I am. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn my right I am. <laughs> so uh, before we get into the fun and shenanigans, let's discuss alcohol. Is anyone drinking tonight? Oh, who isn't drinking tonight? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Mario Beardo, you tell us first. <laughs> All right. Beardo. Uh, what am I drinking? Hazy babies. Um, yeah, I'm drinking some hazy babies from Blaker. I found it in my fridge today. Oh. Yeah, it. I've had it it's for a while. Old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It says uh, June, so it's June. been in my fridge for a while. Is it one of the ones that multiply? Because I remember you said they were multiplying. In there. Yeah, this is one of them. This is the last one though. They, oh, okay. The hazy babies stopped making babies, so here we are. Well, yeah, what they did, and they were called uh, called hoppy babies. Yeah, I never tried it, but. There was a Hoppy Babies that followed that. Interesting. But no, this is still fantastic. Nice. Tastes great. Yep. I'm surprised it held up well after seven months. Yeah, real well. It's really good. Stash, what do you got? I am actually doing something fucking very delicious. I am doing a Confused Therapist from Dust Bowl Brewing. Don't tell me you threw vodka in it. I was just going to say, no. where's the bourbon? <laughs> no. 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 No, you don't have to. This is a... Um, so let me read you the can. Uh, I had the... I had... We we purchased some and, you know, we were all going to do a beer special. But this is a Confused Therapist. Um, and on the front, it says, no disappointment necessary. Imperial IPA uh, coming in at 10.4, one pint. On the bottom, it says, turn it wrong, side up. Uh, responsibly uh let's see what else it's on here it says um unfiltered new england style juicy hazy confused don't be um well first of all it's fucking delicious um i just ate earlier and i can still probably keep drinking this there's like a, a hint of a sweetness in there at the end um that's not like overwhelming but you're just kind of like amused by it and so you you keep trying to chase it a little bit, and I think that's the confusion of it that you go and you get get another drink and you're like, oh, that was fucking good, but what was that last taste that I just had? And before you know it, you're fucked up. Right. <laughs> well, if I, if, so looking at it, it was our fifth highest rated beer week 2020 beer, and yeah. it's actually one that I believe Dill has had. Do you remember? Yes, I do, because <laughs> we drank them and then we're like, oh, my God, these are like 11 percent. Why didn't we check this? Or we just started. Checking. Oh, my God, I'm fucked up. And it was it was good, though. It was real good. 
So, yeah, uh, I can't recommend that one highly enough. I am drinking Diet Pepsi tonight because oh, nice. it's, it's 1 a.m. where I am, and I'm going to go to bed. Was there any alcohol in your life before the Diet Pepsi? Not today. I had to work until 7, so oh. I just kind of got done and, like, ate some dinner, and I was just kind of lazing around, and Stash was like, hey, why don't you come on the show tonight? And I was like, Sounds good. And then <laughs> I didn't even think about drinking and I have a fridge full of beer. So Dude, catch I up know tomorrow. what I'll be doing tomorrow. Yeah. I know what I mean. <laughs> we'll watch the Pens game together and drink beer. Yeah. Now that I finally well, have a nice. Right. Yeah. What's that? Isn't that a senior bowl on tomorrow? Oh, I don't mm-hmm. know. That's probably maybe. I might watch that. Huh. Chip, what do you have alcohol? I do actually, and today's a, a really important day for me. Um, one, I'm drinking, still trying to make my way through the Alaskan beer that I got from uh, Costco last week. Um, but the this, I, I did make a decision to n- stop drinking beer throughout the week and have it one or two days a week and today is one of those days i'm only five days in um if that gives some perspective um but of course the awesome things happened this week to make me want to drink beer more is that on uh tuesday and not monday but tuesday a co-worker said hey check your car you check your truck bed before you leave uh, I left something in there for you, and he left me a four-pack of beer. I was like, fantastic. That's awesome. And then I was like, ah, shit. <laughs> uh, I told myself I wasn't going to drink beer the, during the week. Um, so that's been kind of it, – it's been kind of an adjustment, but, you know, I, I've noticed that between um, between school starting back up and the baby – is that I've kind of ballooned a little bit, so we're gonna try to bring that back down. <laughs> we'll see, uh, but it, it's been it's been nice because um, it's actually made today something to look forward to. So, you know, I did that over summer where I only drank on the weekends, and that first beer on Friday always hit really hard. It was special, but now what I do, I drink the lighter stuff all week, and then Friday I bust out the hard stuff. So. <laughs> maybe one of these days i'll go back to like having some days off but uh go ahead Del. my problem is, is that during the week i hang out with with brent and marty balake and like this week on the show instead of doing a beer segment we did a bourbon segment oh yeah, can't wait to hear so that i did uh i drank some uh he had a bottle of old-fashioned from this distillery in in flavortown and um it was fantastic and then after that we were just throwing down Miller lights so because it was just me and marty this week and then we went to a we went to a brewery afterwards so i got a little bit more fucked up than i should have on a school (laughs) night so was flavor town a reference to columbus by chance yes yes we always call columbus flavor town because that's what it should be called because that's where that's where Guy Fieri is from, and we're going to honor that man by renaming his hometown Flavortown. Gotcha. Just I, I did not know that. Way. I thought he was a NorCal guy, but I, I didn't know he was originally from Columbus. Really? That's really, That's crazy. 
Yeah, he's a, he was he was born in Columbus. He's got family in Pittsburgh. Mm. Like every time he's in Pittsburgh and he goes to Pramani's, his family is there and on his show. So I've been on the Guy Fieri train a lot longer than anybody else. People jumped on him during the pandemic because of all the good work that he did. I've been wearing sunglasses on the back of my head for the better part of a decade. (laughs) I I only have a little bit of beef with him, though, only because um, he... he, West Coast bias, or no, no, East Coast bias. No, 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 no. Are you talking about, like, Kobe beef, broccoli beef? um, Broccoli and beef, um, because he, he, he has... Um, a good sense of taste. Um, he, he he knows what he likes, um, but he is what he is. He's a carnival barker. He he goes out and finds these places and makes them, you know, what they are by showing off his way of doing it, right? Like um, they do in the carnival. So, but in San Diego, um, there is an actual place. There's an actual, there, there is a restaurant in San Diego. Okay. Um, Only um, one that, though. No, only one one restaurant. No, because this restaurant is um, located in a um, not in San Diego proper, but it's actually uh, just God. Fuck, what's the name of it? I'm confused. It's like Crest is it in Hill. San okay. Diego, or is it? Okay, no, no. Okay, no. It's in San Diego. So San, you have to. It's come in over. San Diego. But you have San to Diego come proper, over to Southern California adjacent. because you have. All like I'm hearing Diego, is midnight therapy. You have like downtown San Diego. You have like. <laughs> so is it like in Chula Vista or? Is okay, it so Mexico? just above La Jolla Shores, um, yeah. there is like uh, this canyon, like a Crest Cafe uh, area that was really well known because the area where it sits at is like a Castro district ish. Okay. Kind of a mix of two. It's a blend. Um, but the, the cafe that was, that is there was known for their bottomless mimosas and for their pickles that they've had um, in a jar that sits at the table. And so this is what they're known for. And they were known for their breakfasts because you'd go out and party and then you'd come over there to this cafe and you'd eat an amazing breakfast of um, corned beef hash that was made fresh in the house. And they would have the bottomless mimosas on Sundays and stuff. Right. So is there a point coming? Yes. <laughs> he, he, okay. I'm, I'm telling you the good things of this fucking restaurant. Okay. Those were the good things of the restaurant. This is what the, what made it, it. He showed up, you know, because he went and does his thing and transforms the fucking restaurant. And it's nothing like it was ever again. Ever. The food, the quality. For his show? Nothing is ever this. Yeah, he was there for his show. So we, and, and I went there on three fucking separate occasions. I had three separate types of times and day. And was consistently happy every single time that I went to the point where I was like, this is where we got to go every come, every time you come down here. We went again the next year. He had just visited. They changed it all up after he left. Fucked everything up. That's my only beef with him. Does that happen to every place that he visits? Is he like the fucking touch of, of, of you know, disaster? I don't know. But for that one place, he fucking killed my favorite San Diego area restaurant. So Guy Fieri himself forced them to change who they were after they were on the TV show? No, it's I mean- like an effect, right? You're like, oh, you know, we've we've had like this person show up. And so now we've got to kind of meet this criteria or whatever. They changed after he was there and it fucked everything up. Everything, the, their model worked. 
that's why they got him on the show. And then they changed their model post his, his uh, interview and, and taping. So fuck him. For that one only. Because the other shows, I, I like some of the shit that he goes in and uh, showcases. I hope he didn't fuck him up either. I'll be the first to second a motion to have a bourbon tasting episode. You'll be the first to second that? Yes. <laughs> Because I believe that, you know, just vicariously, the fact that, you know, Idiotville has done it means that we have to have sloppy seconds. So um, I'd like to make a motion to strike Stash's complaint from the record. Uh, Can we handle that one motion at a time, please? I'd like like a parliamentary inquiry on that one then. We'll have to check with the parliamentarian. Yeah. <laughs> the parliamentarian. Do you have an uppy in the stash, parliamentarian? <laughs> yeah, his name is now Deal Spears. Yeah, his name is Deal uh, Spears. <laughs> I don't have like a gavel or anything, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna allow the bourbon tasting, and we're gonna table the motion to to suspend the, the stash's complaint, and we'll have it read into the record later. Perfect. <laughs> and we'll move into our reconciliation. You know what we should do? Because it was actually very popular last time we did. We did like a West Coast Idiotville style show. And it was actually pretty heavily listened to. Um, did you get hammered and talk about nonsense for an hour? Well, we were always pretty good That's at talking about nonsense. every Friday. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think people tuned in because they actually thought it was like idiot. It was you guys. And they realized it wasn't. But. It was too late at that point. We already got the ping for the listen. Nice. Um, so, so I have a beer that's made with uh, tortilla chips, actually. It's from Slow Brew in San Luis Obispo. It's called Taco Works. It's a lager, and it literally... Sounds disgusting. It's actually pretty good. I actually yeah. wish I had some Mexican food to eat it with. Eat with it. Eat with what, it. What would, you, what, what would you pair it with, then? Guacamole. Just salsa verde, great. Yeah. Of course, some tapatillo in it. Some, some pico de gallo. And <laughs> some frijoles. <laughs> some spoonfuls of refried. It'd probably make a good michelada. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would it? <laughs> so let's get let's get into our shenanigans. We have like three levels of this show tonight. If we can get to it, first one is uh, it's been a while since we just had a random uh, question and response. Um, I can't remember the last time we did it. But anyways, uh, Dill Spears is our guest. He came up with a fantastic one. Um, so we're going to go around the room. The first movie you ever watched where you saw your first pair of naked boobs. And since Dill, since this is your idea, I'll let you go first. First one I ever saw was Revenge of the Nerds. I think I was probably nine or ten. Uh, my cousin Scott had it on VHS. And when we went to New Jersey for Thanksgiving, uh, Scott and I watched it in his room. I slept in the sleeping bag on the floor and Scott popped it into the VCR in his bedroom, which in 1987 or 88 was the coolest shit you had ever seen in your life. He had a VCR in in his bedroom and we watched Revenge of the Nerds and I saw all the boobs, (laughs) all of them. So that was that was my first experiences. My first experiences. My first experience with boobs on film. <laughs> boobs, and that's the boobs on film. <laughs> <laughs> the title of the episode: Boobs on Film. Uh, <laughs> stash. What's, what's your stash? 
I'm continuing with the critique of boobs on film. Uh, <laughs> my, my boobs on film is uh, the 1991 Boys in the Hood. And so I, I went and tagged along with the group of friends to see it at like eight or nine years old. Um, and I could not believe that uh, in a movie theater, um, there I was at eight or nine years old watching you know, boobs on, on a boobs giant, on giant screen. <laughs> and that was boobs on film for me. And that, and, and, uh, it made such a re- remarkable, um, you know, um, impression on me that I remember it, um, vividly till this day. And it was amazing. Fantastic. All right. Uh, Beardo. All right. So my, my very first exposure was, um <laughs> was was the blue lagoon uh with brooke shields mm. yeah so um i had totally forgotten about this till you brought this up but yeah i remember sitting in my grandparents house in i don't know must have been the mid 80s in their single wide trailer and they're like hey let's have a movie night and they put on blue lagoon and when those boobs popped up they were rather shocked i'm like but I Wasn't was like, Brooke Shields like twelve when they made that movie? Too? Fourteen or fifteen? She was very oh young. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, that wasn't her first um, ensemble uh, nakedness. So that's probably like her second or third movie that she came and did that. I, she showed up to do that, and they allowed it to happen. I can't believe that that movie ever got made. Yeah. Like that, but. a different time 40 years ago. It was. <laughs> right. It most certainly was. Chitwood. Uh, I'm actually going to let you go because I don't want to take yours just in case because there's two instances and I'm vaguely re- remembering them. You think you two you know, have the same one even though he's, we're, we're not gonna he's 10 years we're, older than you? <laughs> we're not. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm just going off the first thing I can I, I don't remember. I'm sure something occurred before what I remember, but I just was drawing blanks. I certainly wasn't shooting them, but I was drawing them. Was gonna make and that I recall a family vacation where we were visiting my my mom's side of the family down in Stash's neck of the woods down in West Covina. And I somehow ended up in the hotel room by myself. I turned on the TV. And this is back when, you know, when the hotel had that sign of free HBO it was like a selling point, you know, mm-hmm. but this wasn't HBO. This hotel had like a legit straight up porn channel and I ended up on it and it was amazing. But <laughs> so I couldn't tell you the name of it, but I remember distinctly that it started out with the woman licking the dude's butt crack and it was the hairiest <laughs> butt crack. <laughs> and it was the hairiest <laughs> butt crack you've ever seen. I'm like, why would you do that? But she had tits and I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's all trying to be all studious like he's reading a book like it was amazing I, i'm sure i've seen somewhere I, like revenge of the nerds came up i know i've seen it but i don't remember the boobs part of it um off the top of my head so i'm gonna go with that porno in the hotel room in like the late 80s early 90s um because that definitely stuck with me the name of that porno was Rim Jobbers Six. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> Harry Buttcrack, Harry Buttcrack edition. 
All right, so Chitwood, since I know I definitely didn't take yours. <laughs> yeah, no, you <laughs> definitely did not. Um, you know, to be honest, that's, that was probably one of my first exposures to some Skin and Mags uh, late night uh, after the parents had gone to bed and I was staying up. Um, and But I, I, I'm trying to think of an actual pinpoint movie. And when you said HBO, I went back to, oh, maybe it was like watching Sopranos with my dad because me and my dad watched Sopranos. Like I, I, I watched it at a way too young of age. That's good but, parenting. Um, we watched the entire thing all the way through. It was fantastic. Um, but I think there's two movies that come to mind and it would have been right around the same time for me. One, American Pie. Um, number one, American Pie, Nadia. Um, and... My dad might have exposed me to Fast Times and Ridgemont High around that same time. So um, that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what happens in the rest of the movie, but doesn't matter. You <laughs> can't Pie. fix this car. I can fix it. talking piece about American car. Pie. He fucks the pie. It's <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. It's the best naked pie I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that. I mean, that fast time scene is it's iconic. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it what the hell was her name? It. Phoebe Cates. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Damn, Beardo, that was <laughs> Beardo didn't do anything, he just sat there. Fucking that's the quickest draw I've seen in a while. How did you know her name? That was Uppy. That was it was Uppy, first of all. Oh, oh I thought that was you. That, that midnight <laughs> therapist <laughs> talking again. Damn. <laughs> I said, damn, Beardo just shot out with that. Like, like he had been Beardo, re- again, Beardo. I'm not that good. Him. He used his ventriloquist powers terrible, to make himself actually. sound like Uppy. <laughs> I mean, I have a beard, but I don't have that beard. <laughs> I, um, I, I do. I, I would like to throw a bonus this movie out. And a it's bonus my, boo? Uh, yeah, it first theater boob, um, and so I was never I was still not into movies all that much, um, but I never really watched movies. But um, I think my first theater boob was the whole nine yards, and I think I was in the theater with Uppy on that one. We saw it in two different theaters actually. We saw it at Brandon. We saw it in the Oakdale Theater, which is now a brewery, but. Mm. I don't remember uh, yeah. in that one. Good. Yeah. I've got good, some pretty good memories at Brendan Theaters. And most of them were hopping. Blow jobs? No. Um, the <laughs> c- complete opposite. Hanging um, out with your history teacher? <laughs> oh, dude. My, my, my 65-year-old grandmother would force me to go to like four different movies in a row. Just oh. hopping. You know how they used to have the stairwell up to the second floor? At Brendan, yeah, um, we would go see one movie, and she was so cheap that she wanted to go see another one, and we just walk right into a different movie. She have them all fucking planned out for like literally staying in the theaters all <laughs> fucking day. Um, but yeah, no, that that's a solid movie theater. Good. Huh? Your grandma had a lot of fun. Oh yeah, <laughs> lots of fun. <laughs> Did you guys you play Parcheesi? A lot of movies. Yeah, did you play Parcheesi or uh, Gin Rummy after, uh, you know? And probably Rummy Cube. <laughs> some Rummy? Okay, yeah, yeah a little yeah. Rummy, yeah. All right. What do you know you about Rummy Cube? Some, yeah, all right. Ate some yeah. prunes and... Some cranberry, cran raspberry juice or something? Yes, some prunes, yeah. yeah Oatmeal cookies. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm, you know, hey, if she was like, hey, cut my toenails afterwards, you were there for her. You're a very exactly amazing that. man. You're, I'm you're feeling insane. I know what life must have been like with Stash and his grandma. Enough, enough, enough for Chit would agree to it. We see what we want to believe, right, Stash? <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. So true. <laughs> so shifting gears a little bit. Two of us here tonight have actually received uh, the first round of the COVID vaccine, which I, I think is awesome for the two of you. But there's a lot of misinformation and myths out there, people who don't want to take it because they don't believe in science. So, Dill and Stash, would you like to share what your experience, what vaccine have you received and what has your experience been like having received it? Can I just say, though, Dill and Stash? Sounds like a good 70s R&B album. You know? Or a really bad morning drive radio show. With your grandma. <laughs> Dingo and the baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got the Pfizer vaccine. Um, I got it in my, uh, like an idiot, I got it in my right arm. Um, and I got it uh Thursday morning and by Thursday night I felt like somebody had just whacked me as hard as they could in the upper arm with a crowbar um it I I literally like I reached up to turn off my my bedside light last night when I went to bed and I yelped in pain like it hurt um and I was really fatigued but um I woke up this morning and I was fine. No pain, no fatigue. I had a little bit of a headache when I woke up. And then um, I, w- I was fine after that. I-, I was fine all day today. So um, I didn't have any adverse effects, maybe a little bit of the poops. Um, so I, I definitely, uh, I-, I got it through my employer. So they, they send us an email every day. Um, have you had any symptoms? You know, they, they want to keep track of any side effects, but I, I didn't have any beyond you know, a little bit of fatigue and a great deal of soreness at the injection site. Yeah, that's smart of them to do that. Um, only because they, that they, uh, they want to ensure that if you are um, um, feeling any uh, symptoms of COVID, that could be COVID um, because a lot of people uh, tend to think that they um, are immune now, um, like literally the day after uh, they develop COVID symptoms and they're COVID positive. So that's why they're probably doing that oh, for yeah. me. It, yeah. For me, it's um, for me, it was, it was like you, uh, um, it felt like Mike Tyson punched me in the arm. Like seriously, oh. like the morning, the next day we were, we we're about 12 hours apart <laughs> on when we got it. And so when I got mine, I was okay all the way through the day and the morning when I woke up, I felt like it, it, like I was wrestling with the boys again and someone fucking just gave me a good elbow um, to the arm and then it took me a while to get up because I was super stiff and I had to take a hot shower. I, I felt like a, I felt like an old man. Um, and then um, right after I started going and getting my day going again, um, I uh, felt like shit. Like as soon as I was moving around and I was doing things, I felt like I was starting to get sick to the point where um, I had a um, infection 
control specialist call me and say, Hey, just take some ibuprofen and, um, and take it like, you know, at these times and, um, this should help you get through it for the day. And I did it two of those three and it helped me out. So, yeah. And they, they told us like, I work for a health insurance company. And so I, I talked to a lot of physicians and stuff like that. And, uh, what they told us was the week that you're getting the second dose, like I'll be getting my second dose on like a Thursday or a Friday, depending on when they schedule me. They say starting at the beginning of that week, take, you know, 400 milligrams of ibuprofen a day to just get your body ready for it. Because I guess when you get the that second dose, that's when the, the side effects are a little bit worse. Um, a friend of mine, his daughter got it cause she's a nursing student and her for 24 hours after she got the second dose, it was like, she had the flu. Yeah. Mm. But, um, like my brother got it exact same time. I got it just in a different city. And he said the same thing. Like he had, um, soreness and fatigue and, and a little bit of, uh, a, a little bit of the, the, the running shits, but beyond that he was fine too so um there there's no reason not to get it other than just pure stubbornness like if anthony fauci says it's safe i'm gonna go ahead and believe him um he's he's one of the five smartest people in america so uh, if he says it's all right I'm, i'm gonna go ahead and listen to him yeah i'm only doing it because i know i've already had it before and i'm pretty I'm confirmed positive in the, in the past. Um, but I was going to tough it out. You know what? Deal, honestly, I was going to tough it out. I was going to do what I did last time and just see what I felt all the way to the end of the day. But I sat for like literally 45 minutes, maybe an hour, you know, getting my day going and see where I was at. And I felt like so much shit. I was like, no, I'm not going to feel like this for the rest of the day. Because I wanted to do the podcast, one. And two, I wanted to make money. And three, um, I don't want to feel like shit. Yeah. So I took the- you know, when When you said you weren't going to tough it out like you did last time, I, I was like, <laughs> where the fuck was this guy before? The Spanish flu? 1917? <laughs> like, just riding it out again, boys. <laughs> you, weren't, you, weren't, you, weren't, you weren't there yet. You weren't there yet. But, um, you know... Um, um, Dodger and uh, Beardo and Uppy um, were still producing shows during the summer when I got it, and I thought I could hang in there. And at the time, I wasn't take. At, at that time, I did not take anything because I needed to know when I had a full twenty four hours so I can say, "Hey, I'm symptom free." But that shit did not go away for like twelve days, and so. I didn't take any medicines. I didn't take any NyQuil. I didn't take any DayQuil, no ibuprofens, no Advils, no fever reducing medicines. I rode that shit out all the way for 12 fucking days. And it was tough. And I wish I had to get taken something if I had known in the past that, hey, you know what? Just make yourself feel better. Because I even jumped on a couple of the, I tried to jump on on the show, um, but I just couldn't make it. I just, I didn't, I didn't have it in me to do it. Um, but today I was like, ah, fuck it. I'm, I'm, I just, I want to live comfortably in my life right now. Cause I got to sit here for another eight hours, um, to do my work. And as soon as the ibuprofen kicked in, it just kind of, it was just all good. 
the arm thing went away. Everything else just kind of settled down and I was all right. Yeah. Um, with with my arm pain, honestly, if I hadn't had to work this, like get up and work this morning, last night before I went to bed, I would have, I would have smoked a joint and then I would have been fine. Yeah. But, you know, I had to work, so I didn't feel like sleeping until one. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like 10. Can't do both. <laughs> Yeah, no, when, I do that, I mean, when I do that, I'm like 10, 10 o'clock, and I'm like, God, that was a good sleep. Yeah, I, I would have woken up at like 1 o'clock. I had to start at 11 this morning, so I'd have been like, is that supposed to work today? <laughs> oh, well, you know, so I, I just figured it was probably better to just skip it. And uh, I just I just took some ibuprofen last night, but it, it just took the edge off. But I, I was fine yeah. after that. Yeah, same here. Yeah. But you know what? It's an mRNA vaccine. Um, it's you're not getting shot up with a with a live um, or a dead dose of it. You're getting shot up with the actual structure of a vaccine, right? The RNA of it, mm-hmm. uh, the ribonucleic acids, and so it's mimicking what would happen when you are going to get it. And so, like the vaccines do, you're mimicking the reaction, and so it's 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 good. Uh, do it. Uh, because you know, if you're even sixty percent um, um, uh, good at fighting the vac- uh, fighting the flu uh, of like symptoms of it, then you're good to go. Because uh, it's better than having the rear severe uh, possibilities of losing your um, sense of taste or sense of smell, um, which take like up to six to eight to twelve weeks to come back, depending on you know where you're at in your life. So. Yeah, I, I think it's important for people to know that these vaccines don't completely immunize you mm-hmm. from coronavirus. What they do is if you get it, it's going to lessen the symptoms and it's going to keep you from getting a severe case of it. Mm-hmm. It's going to it's going to it's going to make it so that you're, you know, you're tired, but you can still breathe, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so people think, oh, I've got the, the vaccine and the vaccines run its course. I'm going to be fine. No, still wear a mask when you go out. Don't run through the infectious disease ward and lick all the doorknobs. Yeah. Just <laughs> use your head and you'll be fine. But, um, you know, I, I know people who are like, oh, I'm going to get the vaccine so I can go out. I'm like, no, you moron. If you get the vaccine and you go out, you can still get sick. And remember, 95% effective means that it's still 5% not effective. So, yeah. you know, use your brain because you might be in that 5%. That's when you should knock them on the forehead and <clears throat> say, hello, McFly, this is why you were born. You're yeah. that 5%, you dickhead. Yeah, um, no, but <laughs> yeah, but no, you're absolutely correct, um, Dale. Um, those who are still exposed, um, after they've gotten their first shots in my line of work um, have showed up COVID positive because, and during the clinical trials, what occurs is um, it's very controlled. And so they're, they're able to have all these, these tests and measurements and, and knowing where they're at. But when you introduce it to the real world, um, you know, especially those who work in the COVID po- uh, 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 wards, um, those I've seen, I've seen probably more of those um, individuals who've gotten the first dose and then within the first week, still get it. Yeah. Yeah. So it, well, it's, it, it's like it the whole myth with the flu shot. 
when you get a flu shot, people are like, oh, the flu shot gives me the flu. No, if you get the flu shot right after you got the flu, you already had the flu virus. You already had it. Yeah, and 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 a lot of the a lot of the people that we investigate um, don't tell us the whole tr- the whole truth. And so when we start to ask about, well, well, what does your partner do, or or you know, where were you at? And then then they start. Well, I went to the bar. I went to the go hang out at the, this place or that place. And it's like. Okay, now the truth comes out. Oh, we had a wine party of like 12 people come over after we already had the shot. And it's like, hello, that's where you somebody introduced it and nobody was showing any symptoms at the time. Because two days prior, you're the most contagious. So, um, you know, shit happens. And that's how it works. But it also takes up to seven days for each shot seven to 14 days for each shot to finally fully take its effect anyway. So, you know, if you're doing it four or five days after you get what you deserve. Exactly. Well, I had some guys want to go out tonight and I was like, I'm not going out because, yeah. you know, a, I don't want to get sick and B, I don't want to drive all the fuck way to Lawrence park, but. Yeah. <laughs> Deal. Did they, did they, um, did they uh, register you for the next uh, vaccine dose? Yeah, since I got it through my employer, because I work for uh, a large health system, um, they basically just keep track of it electronically. Like, they scan my badge. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I just went over there before work, and they scan my badge, and they're like, uh, you'll get an email to your work email in three weeks, like two days before you're supposed to come over for it. That's good. So, That's good. Yeah, it's, it's super easy. They even validated my parking, and they never validated our parking. Motherfuckers. Yeah, they really they, want you to get that shot. Hell yeah. Not only that, <laughs> they gave me $100 off the deductible on my health insurance. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they're they're nice. 100% on board. I was like, shit, yeah, I'll do that. I was like, can I get two and get $200 off? The answer was no. <laughs> <laughs> we all have a vaccine. <laughs> well, they were looking for people for the clinical trials. And like, what will it take for you to get involved in the clinical trial? I'm like, will they forgive my student loans? <laughs> yep for sure yeah i'll be there i'll yeah i'll, I'll be on that train they can shoot that stuff into my ass like an enema forgive my student loans erectile on. function erectile dysfunction uh you know I, i'm there i'll take small my, price to whoa. pay <laughs> too far too far <laughs> Nothing's too far to get rid of that Anal leakage? Yeah, I got that. What is it? But I got it. (laughs) We'll we'll forgive 100% of your student loans. I think I don't value my my debt as much as you guys. (laughs) You haven't had it as long. That is true. Just wait till you're 44 and you've still got it. Yeah, we keep on going. You know, the rate we're we're going on. I'm halfway to that, that PSFL, so... Chitwood, when you're 44 and you still got anal leakage, yeah, you know you've already made it to the world. (laughs) (laughs) What's happening right now? I'm confused. I mean, I think, you know, anybody that takes some sort of student loan is getting some sort of, as having probably some anal leakage from, you know, getting dicked down so much by the the, the, the institution that they've been taking the loans for. But God damn right I did. (laughs) and the best part is i have never used my degree i have a degree in secondary ed social studies 
and I have never used it. I pretty damn good degree. If I, if yeah, it's a fantastic <laughs> degree. Yeah. And uh, I, I graduated into the worst economy ever in Pennsylvania for new teachers and uh, kept the job I already had because it paid $10,000 a year more than new teachers were making. And uh, two years later, that place closed. <laughs> and six months after that, I was delivering furniture. And now I, there's, there's no way I'd go back to it because I haven't been anywhere near it in 10 years. But um, yeah, I'm basically paying for a degree that I'll never use. Looks good on a resume, though. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, so tonight, 60% of the people on this show actually have a history degree. 60%. That's a pretty good number. Yeah, so we're, we're more than a dime a dozen, then, you're saying. <laughs> 60 yeah. is here. Time <laughs> and here our closing discussion is going to be WWE and unionizing. <laughs> yes, and I will. I will bring up the history of it. Just to make it <clears throat> sweet. Can you grab another uh, beer? Well, it sounds like a good transition. Uh, one of the main reasons why Dill is with us tonight is him and Stash got into a very spirited conversation about the WWE Hulk Hogan and union busting or whatever, and that led to Stash saying, "Dill, come on the show tonight." So. I don't want to put Stash down. Uh, it sounds like a fun discussion. I'm not sure how much I will be able to add to it because I'm not a WWE fan. But you're but a union guy. You're a labor guy. I am a union guy. I'm a damn good one. He's uh, a, union. Employers don't like he's a right union guy um, with glasses now, so he's 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 upgrading. He's smart. Yes, yes. Uh, next time is going to be the tape. Yep. Yeah, so we we're getting there for him. So if I can, <laughs> if I can lead into the discussion, I'm also the one guy in the show without student loan debt. By the way, so <laughs> fuck you. That. How about that? <laughs> How about a big old fuck you? I'm gonna grab myself a beer before we start this. Hold on. Hold on. All, All right. right. <laughs> well, while he's grabbing the beer, um, I will explain what happened. I I was just scrolling through Twitter, and this guy had this great art. It was um, this this thing that he drew, and it was. Hulk Hogan staring down everybody he had a major program with in the eighties. Um, and it was really, really well done. And I'm basically just waiting for it to start selling it on his website. And I shared it with the guys. And of course, Stash had an opinion about it. Stash of has an opinion about everything. He has an opinion about everything. <laughs> yeah, he does. But uh, it led to a pretty spirited discussion um, about, uh, about unionization um, and and fair and unfair labor practices, and um, I, I just thought it was uh, it was interesting. He's like, "You got to come on and talk about this," and I was like, "I feel like if anybody's going to talk about history and wrestling and and the labor practices, where the hell is he going? Is he like going? To where was school? he been? Where was he this whole time?" <laughs> He's going to get beer, but he's like going to the store. <laughs> he was like jerking off in the corner for a second first. <laughs> no. So I figured I was I was probably the one to talk about it since I have basically an encyclopedic knowledge of that sort of stuff for whatever reason. I just retain weird bullshit. And you guys know, like as as history degree holders, that 
you just hold on to weird history shit that has mm-hmm. absolutely nothing to do with anything else. Like if you have a hobby, you learn the history of the hobby. Like I know wrestling and comics and football. Yeah. And and those are the things that I retain the history of. Like I, I have to keep reference around like for like the history stuff that I learned in college. But like, if you came up to me and was like, who was the uh, NWA world champion in 1970? I can tell you that was Dory Funk Jr. You know, and that's, that's just how my brain works. I can retain yeah. shit that doesn't matter. But um, so um, basically I, I showed this picture and, and Stash was like, oh, Hulk Hogan busted the union that, that, the, that the wrestler he's like fuck that guy he busted the union that they were that they were trying to set up in the 80s and and it was a little bit more involved than that um it was it was pretty much one guy was trying to unionize all the wrestlers and and to look at it you have to kind of go back and look at how rest how the wrestling business was built and run until the 80s like I mean, you could go back to, and it was built like this all the way back to the 1920s, where these individual promotions would have one guy who was on top and who was the drawing card. Like in the 20s, it was Joe Stecker and Jim Londos. And in in the the 40s, it was it was Lou Fez. And in the 50s, it was Lou Fez and Buddy Rogers. In the 60s, it was Bruno San Martino. Um, and they would be on top of their individual promotions. But what happened was um, these guys in the late 40s formed this conglomerate of promotions where, you know, the, the guy who ran the promotions out of the wrestling promotion out of Charlotte in the Carolinas and the guy who ran the promotions out of Tennessee and Kansas City and, and Texas and Florida – they all came together and formed a, a conglomerate called the National Wrestling Alliance. And what they would do would be they would all own their own towns and they would have one traveling world champion who went around and defended his title, you know, week to week in each territory. Um, and he would be the guy who would draw the big houses. But what they had to do was he would come into town and face the, the big baby face, the big good guy in town. So it was always the guy on top in that town was the drawing card. So uh, to, to kind of bring it to somebody that people have heard of, in the 70s in Memphis, the Memphis territory, the, the big star was Jerry the King Lawler. And so the NWA world champions in the 70s were guys like Jack Briscoe and Harley Race Um, they would come in and they would have to face Jerry Lawler. But Jerry Lawler was the reason that the fans came to the building. So he was the one who drew all the money. So he got paid the most. But these guys who were on these shows, you know, if Lawler drew a big house, they got paid on how much the house drew. They didn't have a contract. They they had a handshake agreement with the promoter that said, we're going to pay you X number of dollars based on your position on the card. So what happened was in the early 80s, a guy named Vince McMahon just blew that shit up. And everybody knows who Vince McMahon is. Um, He basically said, I'm going to take my company, the WWF National. 
and he started buying up the small promotions. He'd go into towns and instead of um, bartering for TV time or, or whatever, he would just buy another promotions TV slots. And in the space of like a year, year and a half, he took over all the TV in all these big towns. And he had, he had one ace in the hole for that was he grabbed up a bunch of talent from a company that ran in the Midwest called the American Wrestling Association. Uh, and there was a guy there by the name of Hulk Hogan. And Hulk Hogan was um, not a great wrestler as, as those things go, but he was incredibly charismatic um, as, a, as a personality. He got a part in Rocky Three, and that really put him on a national stage. And Vince went to him and said, hey, I want you to come in. We're going to go national. I have this really bland guy as our champion, and I want you to come in and be our world champion. They had to transition the title off of this guy named Bob Backlund, who was like a legitimate wrestler. He was what's called a shooter. And they moved it from him to a guy who is now the greatest follow on all of Twitter, the Iron Sheik. Um who is also a legitimate tough guy. Like he was an, he was an Olympic wrestler, the Iron Sheik. Um, but then they transitioned it from Backlund to the Sheik to Hogan. And as soon as Hogan got the title, the WWF took off. And Hogan was the biggest drawing card in the world for, from January of 84 until probably 1992 like he made all the money and guys wanted to be on that show with him because if Hogan was there it was going to draw a big house always and when Hogan came over from the AWA he bought a brought a bunch of guys with him he brought over Dr. D. David Schultz he brought over Mean Gene Okerlund he brought over Bobby the Brain Heenan and he brought over a guy who had been around for a while named Jesse the Body Ventura um Jesse Ventura was a Navy SEAL. Um, he had been in Vietnam. And what wound up happening was because he was in Vietnam, he was exposed to Agent Orange. And the Agent Orange caused him to get uh, pulmonary embolisms or blood clots in his lungs. So he had to retire from wrestling. But Jesse Ventura does not like Hulk Hogan because Jesse Ventura thinks to this day that Hogan stole his gimmick, the gimmick of the great big muscle bound, you know, posing strong man who was not particularly great in the ring, but was awesome on the microphone and just kind of tantalized the fans. But Hogan took it to a whole nother level. What was happening was in like 1985, 86, Hulk Hogan was in a program with uh, a guy named Paul Orndorff. And Hogan and Orndorff were literally, I, and when I say selling out the world, I mean, Hogan was making $20,000 a night selling out arenas in North America. They drew in, it was September of 86, Hogan and Orndorff drew 67,000 people to Exhibition Stadium in uh, Toronto. And it was, I mean, it, it, and I've seen video of it. It was a legitimate 67,000 people. The place was packed. And 
to to think about the money that they were making. Paul Orndorff had nerve damage in his left arm and his neck, and he didn't come off the road because he was making too much money. He's like, I'll just work through it to the point where later on in his life, you could see that his arm was smaller from the nerve damage, but he just kept on going because he was just making so much money. Um, but what wound up happening was Jesse Ventura was like, Hogan's making all this money. I'm an announcer. I'm going to get all these guys together and we're going to unionize. And he talked to everybody and he thought Hogan was his friend. You know, they treated him like friends, but what wound up happening was Hogan was better friends with Vince McMahon because Vince was paying him a shitload of money. So, you know, Hogan was making money off of merchandise. He was making money off of these houses that they were drawing. So Hogan caught wind of Ventura's plan because Ventura was going through the locker room kind of saying, hey, what we need to do is collectively bargain with Vince McMahon so that we're getting a bigger piece of this pie because he's making all this money and we're still making peanuts. And, you know, I mean, and these guys were all making a lot of money. But what wound up happening was Hogan found out, Hogan told Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon said, no unions. Don't try to unionize. If you try to unionize, I'll fire you. And to this day, WWE, the WWF became WWE because they lost a lawsuit to the World Wildlife Fund. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah. Bunch of I love those shirts with the panda with the chair. With the like. chair, yeah. <laughs> but <clears throat> to this day, WWE considers all of their wrestlers to be independent contractors. And, I mean, they're, these guys are busting their asses. I know a lot of professional wrestlers. I'm friends with a lot of professional wrestlers. These guys are, they're incredible athletes. Um, they're incredible performers and their bodies break down quick and they work through it and they're not getting anything. They don't have health insurance. They pay for their own transportation unless you're like top of the card. Their contracts are not guaranteed. They're not allowed to make any money on outside bookings. But WWE is still allowed to consider them independent contractors, even though they're allowed to say you can't work anywhere else. Like, you know, uh, Roman Reigns can't say, okay, I'm working the Royal Rumble Sunday night. But Wednesday night, I'm going to go to AEW and work their show. And then next Saturday, I'm going to go to Japan and work for New Japan Pro Wrestling. He's not allowed to do that. He is an independent contractor who is exclusive to WWE. And they make them independent contractors so that they don't have to give them health insurance. They don't have to pay them a flat salary. And I mean, their salary structure is... It's obscene. It's, yeah. So I, I think now they would have a better chance of being able to unionize than they did in the 80s. Because in the 80s, it was a lot more cutthroat. And and Stash, I know I said this, and Uppy, I know I said this in our group chat. Um, those guys in the 80s, if they had, if they had cut Hogan's nuts off and, and put somebody else on top, um, somebody else would have done the same thing. 
because who wants to give up $20,000 a night when you're working five nights a week, you know? So it's, it's just a matter of, you know, who's, whoever's on top draws the house. And those guys who worked with him in the eighties, they loved being on the shows with Hogan because they knew the bigger the house, the more money the boys got and they would make all this money. Now, I mean, right now, they're they're not even doing shows in front of real people. They're doing shows in front of a great big bank of TV screens. They're not getting any money from pay-per-view because they moved everything to WWE Network. They're not making any money off of DVD sales because that doesn't exist anymore. Um, the only money they're making is off of merchandise. They were doing um, like Twitch. I think it's Twitch, the, the streams. Mm-hmm. They were doing those. They're not allowed to do those anymore. If they do them, they have to give the office a cut of it. Like they're they're just how is that independent contracting? I don't know. It's the, it's the pimp. It's the pimp slapping the hoe. It really you is. You can't. Yeah. Obviously, that's it's exactly what it is. It's it's this. It's the same example of when when um, when the government decided to sue uh, the smoking industry, you know, tobacco industry. And then they said, hey, as part of the settlement that you're going to pay, um, you're also going to pay for your own um, anti and uh, your anti-smoking. You know, we're going to fucking smack you up and we're going to take your money and you're going to pay for it. And they gladly they do because they don't want to be whacked with anybody else. It's the yeah. same concept. It's it's the same thing. It's like, eh, don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, but but my, my only contention in, in our group chat was that it's it's that there was a there was an impetus right there was an opportunity for a, a change in things to be made because he's he's 1980s Hulk Hogan he is the American boy right he's he's George W Bush he is the 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 anti um, things that are about to, that are going to show up and showed up um, during that time because Hulk Hogan was you know, highly popular, even through my age of, of, of young, of being a young boy watching WWF um, before they got slapped with that stupid lawsuit, but WWF, that's who they were. And so this is that, that was their goal because you have to have an image. You have to have this idea of what America is and wrestling is one of the avenues of what America is, right? The good versus bad. The Sheik. This is right. He. This is why he lost his 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 avenue of championship um, because you can't have an American president like George W. Bush and not have a Hulk Hogan. You can't. Those those things don't. They they don't. They're like water and oil. Because now you have this new idea of what uh, the family of, you know, the presidency and, and, the, and the family that they present. The train and the prayers and the vitamins. Right, right. And, and this idea, right, and the media is that they got to sell it. So you can't have those two things. And so that's why when, when you mentioned Hulk Hogan or I see his image, I am, I am absolutely pissed off because he sold out the American family. He sold out. He sold them out because because he made them feel like you could be part of my image 
and I'm going to go in here and rip my shirt off and I'm going to be this guy and I'm going to be him and oh yeah and oh yeah over here, right? But he sold out what it meant to be an American and that was working in labor. So, but, but, so some, but the way the way Dill talks about it, it sounds like there was actually a true trickle down effect here. Like, it is. It's he, actually, okay, the, so the rising tide raises all ships. I mean, no, yeah. no. So it's an it's an it's an image thing. It's it's an idea. It's a projection of of things. So he's he he sold it of a projection of I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna be this thing. At this point of political correct of, of of what was going on in politics, so imagine that if if would would he was, would, he was would the deal. icon of the eighties. He was he, he no no he he was the icon because they made him the icon. Right. They made him. If if it if if, if, if <coughs> it had truly been on a level playing field, mm-hmm. would the champion have kept his kept his belt? Well, obviously not, but you know, wrestling is is worked, so you can't really uh, you can't really say that. But what I will what I will say with with Hogan was they would have been foolish to ever take the title off him before they did because they were making too much money. Mm-hmm. And like I said, everybody was making money, and and like Uppy said, the whole the whole the rising tide was raising all the other ships. Because Hogan and Paul Orndorff, or Hogan and King Kong Bundy, or Hogan and Andre the Giant, whoever were drawing these huge houses, everybody else on these houses were were making money. Uh, uh, another guy, do you remember the Big Boss Man? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He started out as a bodyguard in the NWA, okay, and he got a payoff for their first pay per view. And it was $5,000. Everybody else involved in the match got 10. And he was pissed, so he quit. And he went to the WWF, and he called one of his friends there, and he's after his first week with Hogan. And he said, my first week with Hulk Hogan was $12,000 for one week worth of work. So working with Hogan made people a lot of money. And then working on the same shows as Hogan made people a lot of money. Being on pay-per-views with Hogan made people a lot of money. So I can understand why he said to Vince McMahon, I don't think you want to have a union here because it's going to hurt business. You know, if you have, because these, these guys, if they're going to collectively bargain, and I think that's what it goes back to is, you know, if these guys are unionized, they're going to want paid days off. They're going to want health insurance. You know, they're going to want this. They're going to want that. Um, they're going to want you to pay for their transportation. Um, and, and all these things that wrestling had never, ever done. You know why wrestlers show up in movies all the time? So they can get their SAG cards so that they can get insurance. Because wrestlers are impossible to insure. They can't even get insurance policies from Lloyd's of London. Yeah. And they'll insure anybody. But I think that, something, Stash, let me chime in real quick. Yeah. Just, just from, um, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm a wrestler outsider because I, you know, I had that phase as a, as a kid growing up, probably from eight to 
eight to a solid 16, 17 years old, uh, where, you know, I, I watched Mondays or Fridays or whatever day they fucking chose every other year to have their main events, um, pretty religiously. And I was so far removed from the, you know, the hardcore, um, hardcore, you know, years of wrestling that you guys are talking about that, you know, I, I came into the game when Hogan resurfaced, I came into the game when all those big players came back into the game to, you know, uh, replenish the funds that I think Bill Spears is talking about, um, has, you know, what was doing well for them. And then obviously diminished once, um, once, you know, they're, they're, their bodies, I think, were deteriorating. Um, but yeah. something that I think really kind of attributes to what Bill Spears is talking about here is I came in to, you know, WWE. Unfortunately, I did not know it with WWF. Um, when ECW was trying to make a comeback and something that kind of goes along with what Bill Spears is saying is, it never made a comeback because they didn't have those main headliners. They tried to poach, you know, those, those Jeff Hardy's, those, you know, people that, that had that household brand name, but it never worked because it really didn't have those people carrying the ticket, didn't have those people carrying the cards. Um, and I think even still, you know, it's funny that I, I feel like WWE even did the same, that exact thing within their own system and in, in which they tried to run uh, crapshoots or offshoots of, uh, you know, many events throughout the, like the, I don't know, the Wednesdays or Thursdays in each town by having the lesser known wrestlers wrestle. Um, but I think, you know, I was definitely more of a, I was more drawn to watch a Friday night SmackDown if, I don't know, insert, you know, main wrestler in that, that time period um, was going to be on the ticket. I was, it, it draws a crowd and, uh, you know, the trickle down for that gig economy, which, it, you know, it sounds like Bill Spears is trying to claim it, it was, um, it, it had to have trickled down. Well, it's, it's absolutely a gig job and now i don't think it should be in the 80s and it had been for you know in in the 80s it had been a gig for 80 years you know it, it go, dating back to the early part of the century it had always been we're gonna pay you per show in cash mm-hmm. most mm-hmm. of the time mm-hmm. um but once they got so big, they should have made those guys employees and they just never did because they were making money off their likenesses. I mean, they were putting them on freaking ice cream bars. Yeah. I mean, they were, they had the action t-shirt. figures and yeah, t-shirt, you know, I mean, but the guys, the guys make money off their t-shirts and they make money off the action figures and the likeness, but the company makes more. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, you do you think that you know Steve Austin made sixty million dollars in four years off the Austin three sixteen t shirt? You don't think Vince McMahon made one hundred and eighty million dollars off those t shirts in four years? Either. You know, yeah. yeah. I probably had four of them. 
Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're making money on showing that picture of Steve Austin locked in the, the submission hold with the blood streaming down his face. You know, that's, that's the iconic image of Steve Austin. And, you know, yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't get a couple of dollars every time they show that, you know, he got whatever his check was for that night. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like uh football, you know, college football. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I, I, you you know you don't get you know royalties for certain things of your likeness. Of <coughs> and, I and, think and, don't and, get me but, started on college football. I know, but th- but but that's exactly why I argue like he is. I I fucking hate him. I absolutely hate him because you have to have the villain, and he is the villain for me um, in this whole situation because. If he had not done that, if he had just said, you know what, these guys are working as hard as me um, and are trying to be as good as me and I'm here and why should I cheat them? Things would be different, right? Or we, we, we would never know, but we would never know. But my thing is that if he had just been honest, so, you know, so because why is it on him to change the structure of it? Because okay, so here it is then. Because this is why it's on him to change the structure. It's because it was an understanding with the management of how things should be or not be, and he agreed to those structures. Well, here's the thing: he's benefiting from it to those structures. Yet that's capitalism. Agreed, that's capitalism. He is he's doing so, but is. And when he does it to fuck other people over, because he knows, he knows people are coming to him and telling him, hey, Jesse, Jesse's not the only guy that's telling him. There are other people that are saying, hey, we, we, we want to hear these things, want to see these things. It's when the collective action on the other end is forgotten about for your own greed. That's when you get fucked. That's why he's that. That's why where he's at where he's at right now. Well, well, but he has to worry about himself. I mean, he's got such a short time span to make money. Why should he care about those other people who need to make money as well? His body's going to be breaking down. He's got to make his money now. And if they, who, yeah, it's a collective. It's and who who also is happy with the where they are. That it's not like I mean, it's but but again again you're 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 still. Missing the trees for the forest. When people are coming to you and saying, hey, shit is getting kind of weird around here. We would like to see some things normalized. How about this? How about that? We don't know all of everything that was being said, right? Because there's so much shit being said. But let's say let's put it in a simple context of that, of, of being normalized. Like, hey, we want certain things to be said or certain things to be known. And we want to be recognized and we want some money for this for doing these things and we want it to be normalized so that nobody's getting fucked around here but and then and then the one guy goes fuck all of you vince mcmahon said you know what if i fuck all of you guys i'm gonna make millions of dollars and i'm gonna be fucking hulk hogan and my he's gonna fucking, put it on only fans that's yeah, for sure and, and yeah and, and and yeah right and i'm gonna be the fucking guy that's what he did. He fucked the wrestlers that were help making also him to be possible to be to make money. 
I so, think, sounds like the you know every capitalistic industry in the uh, <laughs> yeah, in existence. Yeah. <laughs> so hate them <laughs> because I mean I, I I'm not sure. I don't think Beardo he, he also didn't speak about fandom per se, but I'm not a wrestling fan. Never really been one. But the only time I ever really ever gave a shit is because the Hulk Hogan era made you want to give a shit, even if it wasn't your thing. As soon as Hogan was out of there, I went back to completely not giving a shit. I, I know like John Cena has existed. I know that Steve Austin has existed, or I, I don't really know who's big now in it. Um, I think The Undertaker's still hanging around. The Undertaker somewhere. just retired. No, but there's nobody right he, now okay. who's big. That's the whole problem. Yeah, so, I mean. I could I could go on for hours about it, but I will say this. If you were to go back and talk to those guys who worked on those shows with Hogan, they will say, I'm glad I was on those shows. I don't care that there was no union because I made a ton of money. I wish I had saved more of it. Because most of them are broke. Honestly, most of them are dead now. It was 40 years ago, yeah. but, um, you know, it was 35 years ago now, but. Yeah, it, it, it's now they definitely because none of them are making any money now. Yeah. So, and I, I could definitely argue nowadays with our you know advanced knowledge of injuries and uh, brain you know, head trauma. I think that's part of the earlier discussion, and <laughs> they absolutely need one now. Oh yeah, they need to be taken care of. But oh. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. To, so, I mean, Chris at Benwell. the point where. Yeah. You got any final words, Dash? Disappointed in all of us? No, 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 not at all. <laughs> it's just no. Furious. No, Look at him. He's steaming. <laughs> yeah, he, he secretly hates He's us. He's speechless. That's how upset he <laughs> no, is. Yeah. No, I'm 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 not. It's just that. Are you just mad that Hulk Hogan had a hot daughter? Is that it? That's it. Brooke, That's Brooke, what it was. Brooke, <laughs> Brooke was made to be something that she is not. So just like she, her dad, <laughs> she, was, <laughs> she was made. She was not. She looked more like her mom. And um, you know, hey, hats off to Hulk, um, Mr. Hogan. You know, you choose your who you want to be with. But brother, she's not brother. my. Uh, she's not Robin yet. She's just not my cup of tea. So she looked a lot like her mom. Um, this is, I, am just, my position is always, it would be that is that, um, there was an opportunity for change, but because money was so good and everybody's making money, why fuck it up? But then, you know, here we are some years down the road, things are fucked up and things were always fucked up even before that. Um, and so when I found out that he was a union buster, still to my day, I, I, I loved him, dude. He was my guy growing up. But when I found that out, that was it for me. Absolutely. So, and I still stand till today that that's how I feel. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and it wasn't that long ago. So that's what makes it hard to digest in this situation. It wasn't that long ago. Now, the question is, how much did he make off of that? Well, I don't think he made very much <laughs> off of that at all because I got him on a discount rack at Walmart for three bucks. But 
yeah. yeah, I got I got the um, WrestleMania. I'm going to tear the shirt apart, you know, Hulkamania in my closet because, you know, rips from China. So, yeah, don't. Yeah, just run the shit you already paid for. Smart. <laughs> yeah. But it's, that's, like what, that's what Walmart made it for. Carrots. I can tear my shirt and look cool and then not really worry about ruining it. So, <laughs> thank you, Hulk. <laughs> well, that was awesome. Dill, thank you so much for staying up late with us. Uh, sure always thing. a pleasure to have to you on. Holy shit, it's 2.30. It's 2.30, yeah. Oh, it, my pleasure to be on. Anytime, just give me more of a heads up than a couple hours next time. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's not how we roll around here. Dill, I'll, I'll say this at, at the end here for, for the show, that you're the most um, amazing guy that has a, a, a breadth of knowledge on this on this. Um, issue and not even issue it's just you know an industry of stuff but it's amazing to hear you talk about it because I felt like I was watching the history channel for a second and I'm just so amazed and I still learn like I should be taking notes every time that you talk about this shit because I learn so much from when on Twitter and when we're on our group discussions I learn a lot so thanks I appreciate it yeah it's like I said it's one of the three things I know yeah Jacking off in WWF. That's good to know. Beer. Yeah. Folks. Yeah. <laughs> beer. He knows beer. <laughs> and beer. <laughs> All right. Everyone, thank you for listening this week. Again, huge thanks to Dill Spirits for joining us. Uh, we'll have you on again soon. Uh, thank you, Beardo, for being here tonight. Chitwood sure. and Stash. And until next week, we wish you a good afternoon, a good evening, and good night. Mm-hmm.